Good to see everybody today. It's, uh, it's great to be together in God's house. And, um, man, just thankful for these times of worship that we get to just recharge for the week. It's just so needed for all of us, you know. Um, just grateful for our team and, um, and just for the word. And so I just, um, I just pray that God's word really speaks to us today and, um, and really maybe hits you right where you're at. Um, because I know for what we're going to be talking about today, I know for a fact that there's some of us here watching online that exactly what we're going to be looking at today is, is possibly, probably, exactly how we feel or have felt. We've been talking about being tested and this idea about being tested and, and having, having faith in the struggle. When you're in the middle of the test and it's, it's hard to kind of see, sometimes we forget that it's the test. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of stories in God's word. There's a lot of things in the, in the word of God that can help us to, to, to recognize tests, to know what to do in the middle of the challenge, or to at least give us some direction until we do know. And so hopefully this has helped. This has helped us as, as we've gone through this series and what we look at today to help us recognize maybe the purpose and, and how to face them with the power of God. And, and, you know, a lot of times when we are being tested, and when we're going through the, the trial, we feel alone. And we have this, this feeling of, of being alone. And, you know, some people like being alone. Um, some people really hate being alone. Uh, personally, I value some alone time. Um, but too much of it, I think too much of it for anybody, uh, is, is not necessarily a, a great thing. I know for me, too much of it, my mind starts wandering to feelings of isolation, sometimes that highlight reel that plays in your head of the unknown of what is to come or, or what may not be, and it can kind of drive you nuts, but, you know, I also find that when I'm in those times of, of feeling alone and those isolation moments that the, the temptations of life seem to be able to get to me a little bit easier, to get to me a little bit more in those moments. And, and I have a tendency to fail the test when I think I'm alone. Ultimately, none of us like to be alone all of the time. You may say that you do, but like truthfully, we, we weren't built that way. We're not created that way to be alone all the time. No one likes the feeling of abandonment though. And sometimes that, that deeper feeling of abandonment is really what, what can get to us like we've been left alone. Because we're created to be in relationship with others. That's how God created us. That's how he designed us. It's to be in relationships with, with other people. We aren't created to do this life alone, at least not all the time. Certainly, there are times in, in Scripture where Jesus pulls away and goes into places and times of isolation for a time of prayer. But is he really alone in those times of prayer? Now, he's doing business with the Father you know, a lack of community really became our, uh, our new normal during the pandemic years. Um, and loneliness was one of the big problems that came out of that time. And unfortunately, it still is. Doing a little research, I, I happened to find the Surgeon General's Advisory that was written this year, 2023. Surgeon General's Advisory called Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation. And it's an 82-page document. I'm not quite ready for that yet. It's an 82-page document. Um, and approximately half of U.S. adults within that document 
um, says one out of two report experiencing loneliness. That they're experiencing loneliness. Um, and some of the highest rates of that, I mean, that's crazy. One out of two, that's half this room. And it's, it's probably pretty accurate. But the highest numbers of that are among young adults. Young adults are actually feeling the most of loneliness. And in this document that the Surgeon General writes, he actually gives six pillars of rebuilding social connection and community efforts, right? This is the US Surgeon General who's saying, okay, we need to put a plan in place for this. And so he starts with these six pillars of, of things that can be helpful in, in rebuilding social connection and community efforts because that's how important it is for the health of our society. In 2020, it said only 47% of Americans said that they belonged to a church, synagogue, or mosque, 47%. While that number may seem a bit staggering, that only 47% said they did belong to a church, it's actually the first time that number has been below 50% in the history of the question being asked. In 1999, that number was at 70%. 70%. Look at this quote from the paper that, that was written there. It says this, religious or faith-based groups can be a source for regular social contact, serve as a community of support, provide meaning and purpose, create a sense of belonging around shared values and beliefs, and are associated with reduced risk-taking behaviors. This is from that, that paper, from the U.S. Surgeon General's Advisory on the Healing Effects of Social Connection and Community. What does this tell us? It tells us that even the Surgeon General is recognizing that people were designed for community, that we were designed for community that's based on meaning that is bigger than ourselves. That's why I believe that the church, the big C church, that we have an amazing opportunity to impact the lives of people today. See, what Jesus and the church should be all about is exactly this. And a lot of the efforts that we put in here at Connect Church are about connecting people to each other because that's how Jesus did it. And it's amazing that our creator knows exactly what we need, isn't it? If you have your Bibles, turn to John 16. I mean, John chapter 16. And uh, as you're turning there, we're going to be starting in verse 15. There is, uh, there is this, this conversation that's happening with Jesus and the disciples. And this comes right on the heels of the Last Supper. And so he's having this meal with them. And he's telling them some things. And, and this is his farewell address to them. They're not quite picking up what he's laying down in this moment. So... This is taking place either at the end of the Last Supper in that upper room or on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's eventually praying and, and being rested and all of that. It's really unclear exactly where this takes place. Um, regardless, what Jesus was talking about and what he's saying here is actually hours away from happening. And this feeling of loneliness and alone starts creeping in on the disciples because of what Jesus tells them is about to happen. So beginning in verse 15, says this, Jesus says, all that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. 
in a little while, you won't see me anymore. But a little while after that, you will see me again. Some of the disciples asked each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while, you won't see me, but then you will see me? And I'm going to the Father, and what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. So immediately, they're like, I, what's happening? I don't understand what he's talking about here. Because they just spent some time with Jesus. They just are, are having this meal. And, and then he makes the disciples aware that he's going away soon. And it, at this point, they're really kind of in a state of shock. You know, we, we thought things were great. And we were just getting going. And, and now everything's changing. And it seems like in a bad way. I don't, I don't understand this. Their, their best friend, their mentor says, I'm no longer going to be with you, and they're taking the news really hard. And most of us would have reacted the way the disciples did also, right? You're leaving us alone? We can't do this alone. God, I can't do this alone. Sound familiar? We probably would have reacted the same way, and, and the reason that they reacted that way and that we would have reacted that way is because we lacked the entire scope of Jesus' plan. See, out of context and not understanding everything that was going to happen and why, this seems harsh and this seems unnecessary and kind of messed up. They didn't have the, all the information about the plan. They didn't have all the information about the plan and, that, and that, can, that can get to us, can it? Have you ever been driving past a place that maybe you drive past all the time Maybe it's to school, maybe it's to work. You drive past all the time and there's construction going on. And, and, you, and you're like, yeah, that's literally everywhere. And, and you go, <laughs> but you see this construction project going and you see this happening and you see it being worked on or lack thereof. And, and we might be a little judgmental about the process, especially in Ohio. And, but the fact that we can't see the blueprints and we don't understand the construction plans really makes us doubt, you know, whether that exit off of 77 is ever going to be done, you know, or fill in the blank of any other part. I remember when I was going to school in Pittsburgh, um, when I was going to the Art Institute of Pittsburgh there, um, every day I had to walk down the 6th Street Bridge into downtown Pittsburgh because the Art Institute was uh, on Penn Avenue right there in, in downtown in the Triangle, if you know what I'm talking about. And, and so every day I had to walk across that bridge. That bridge is now called the Roberto Clemente Bridge, who was a player for the Pirates, if you didn't know that. Well, in 99, my last year of school there, as I'm walking back and forth to school, they start building PNC Park, which is where the Pirates play baseball. And I got to watch them work on that every single day as I walked past. And it was really kind of cool, but at the same time, really confusing because it just was like a pile of dirt and construction beams and bricks and such. And I'm just like, they're going to play baseball here. Okay. You know, and, and when you're this close to it, I mean, like literally this close to it every day, I mean, the sidewalk and then fence and here's ballpark, supposedly, that's going to be happening. And when I graduated, it wasn't done. It was still just kind of a pile of stuff that they were moving around and all of that. Well, two years later, ballpark's finished and I came back for a game and I could not believe it 
I cannot believe how beautiful this park was. It's, in all honesty, say what you want about Pittsburgh, because um, we're, you know, Cleveland or whatever, but honestly, the town is awesome. And that ballpark, I'm not kidding. If you're a baseball fan and you haven't watched a game at PNC Park, you need to do yourself a favor and go, because it's my favorite baseball stadium. It's an incredible ballpark. It's beautiful. There's not a bad seat in the house. And when you're walking past watching it be built, you're like, what is going on here? Watching it being built was not encouraging. No clue what was happening every day, but something was. And in a similar way, the disciples didn't understand the big picture of what Jesus was trying to accomplish in this moment. And we can act like that too when, when we can't really see what God is doing in our lives. And when it doesn't really make sense, because without answers, we tend to push back against the process that we're going through. And that's natural, isn't it? And so Jesus warns the disciples that he's going to be leaving them. And they didn't take the news very well in the moment. But he left them with some words of comfort, and he gave them some perspective to help them get through the test that was about to happen in their life. So let's keep reading, verse 19. So Jesus realized that they wanted to ask him about it. So he said, are you asking yourselves what I mean? I said in a little while, you won't see me, but a little while after that, you will see me again. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. You know, the disciples, they were dumbfounded that they repeatedly said to themselves and to each other, right, what does this mean? They had no idea what was happening and why. What does this mean? Here's the thing, though. If Jesus would have told them the whole plan, then the plan wouldn't have been able to happen. Did you ever think about that? Because they would have stopped it. And we know that because in just a little while later, they come to arrest Jesus and Peter starts lopping off ears. And Jesus is like, you need to stop. You need to stop because this is part of the plan. They would have stopped the plan. How many times during testing in our life do we try to figure out what God is doing in our lives? Which is natural and normal. But we sit and we ask questions. We try to figure out the meaning of it all. And the great thing about God, as we see here from Jesus, is that he knows what we're asking. He knows exactly what we're asking. They were whispering to themselves back there and Jesus is like, here we go. And he turns around and, and says, I know what you're asking. I know exactly what you're asking. And, and he really has this vision into the disciples' heart, just like he has a vision into your heart as well. And he takes time to comfort, that and comfort them in verse 20 as best as he could when he says, your grief will suddenly turn to joy. Things are not going to be great for a minute. He's real honest about that. Things are not going to be great for a minute, but when it's all said and done, you're going to be so glad. Jesus understood that the disciples wanted more clarity on that. Of course he did. But, but he also knew that they needed more information, not just necessarily more clarity. And they needed their hearts and their minds prepared to get through the coming crisis. That was what was most important. 
So while we may not have all the specific answers to why in the moment, God does comfort us during our most vulnerable times. And he tells the disciples what they needed to know in the moment. And what they needed to know was that eventually his absence was gonna bring joy in the future. And he illustrates that point by talking about a woman in labor. And it's a great analogy here because a woman is not enjoying the painful process of giving birth. I'm not gonna ask for hands, but I'd be pretty sure we'd get no hands. I was like, who, women here who have given birth, how, how many of you were like, yes, awesome, loved it. Like the, like the actual moment, like process of giving birth. Been in the room four times for that, not fun. In that moment, epidural helped. Anyway, <laughs> once the baby is delivered though, and handed to the mom, because this I have seen, it's as though she never went through any of that. So she never went through any of that. None of that stuff mattered. It doesn't. And, you, and, and guys, like we've heard a woman say something like, boy, I'd go through that all over again. And you're like, I don't get it. Jesus is saying that that's how the disciples are gonna feel when they see him again. And the same is true for us in our tests in life, that there is joy after the pain. I don't know how much further after. Because we don't have the blueprints. We don't know what that all really looks like. But I know in this situation that the crucifixion, all that went into it, all that, all that they went through, the, the crucifixion wasn't just a bump in the road, mind you. Right? This wasn't just like, well, that kind of went off the rails for a minute. No, no, no. This was part of God's plan. It wasn't just an obstacle to overcome. Right? It was the way the plan would be fulfilled. Like, hear that. Understand that. That's the way the plan would be fulfilled. That sorrow would turn into joy. Because sometimes pain is the way that the plan is fulfilled. Sometimes pain's the way that the plan is fulfilled. Let's look at verse 22 here for a second. Jesus says, so you have sorrow now but I'll see you again and then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. I know for a fact that the disciples really didn't get this until later because God's work was not to replace the sorrow with joy. I think this, this, is, a, this is something big for us to understand. He wasn't just gonna replace the sorrow with joy. He was gonna turn the sorrow into joy. That's a big difference. He often does that in our lives as well. The sorrow was actually directly connected to the coming joy. Just like the sorrow and pain of a woman in childbirth is directly connected to her joy in the fact that her child has been born into the world. And so going through that was worth it because of the joy that comes through the pain. Let's go back to that Surgeon General's thing for just a minute. On that paper, there's an area where it talks about three vital components of social connection. When I think about loneliness, think about being alone and, and what the Surgeon General is saying, 
This is a really interesting thing. This is a lot of stuff, I get this. But there's, these three main things are the things I want you to see for a minute. It's from this paper that was written, according to the Office of the U.S. Surgeon General, saying three things are vital components for social connection. Structure, right? The number of relationships, variety of relationships, the frequency, interactions with others, the function, the degree to which others can be relied upon for various needs, the quality, the degree to which relationships and interactions with others are positive, helpful, or satisfying. You know, Jesus set up the disciples with all of these things. And as I'm reading through this and I'm looking at this, and this is just the Surgeon General recognizing how people are and what's needed in their life. Isn't it interesting that this was actually Jesus' plan? That these are actually underpinning functions of how the church is supposed to be. I mean, read them. This is what the church is supposed to be and so much more. He didn't leave them alone just like he's not left us alone. That's the underpinning of the church right there. See, he equipped them with what they needed. And whatever you're going through, he has equipped you with what you need. Whether we're choosing to listen to it and see it or not, that's kind of on us. But he has equipped us with what we need. It's interesting that none of the apostles, and I never thought about this until I was putting this talk together, but honestly, think about this. None of the apostles speak of the death of Jesus in any of their writings after this with any kind of regret. I mean, seriously, think about that. They're stressed and sad during the moments, for sure, like when it was all going on, during the actual event. But once they understood, after the resurrection and especially after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended on them, no regret, no grief at all when it comes to talking about the crucifixion. You won't find it. They understood the necessity of it and what God accomplished through it. In fact, they talk about the joy. I mean, crying out loud, there's songs that we sing, power in the blood, right? Like there's, there's different, you, you see it so many places. And have you ever really thought through the fact that like none of that is ever talked about with like grief or sorrow? We're thankful and we're joyful because of what Jesus did for us. See, the test was over for them in that moment. The unknown was now known about that. They were about to go into a whole bunch more tests. But they were prepared to move forward with their mission. A little further in the chapter, Jesus says this. I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. But in this world, you will have trouble. He's being really honest. So, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And you've got to believe that after this was all said and done and they went back and looked at the words of Jesus and they thought about this from the, from the end game perspective, not from while they were going through it, but after the resurrection, after the day of Pentecost, they look back on this and go, oh, oh, now, now I see. See, this is some of the why to the tests because it prepares us for the world of, of chaos. 
with the proper perspective of the Lord and his control over all of it. All of it. And the enemy wants you to feel alone. Your sinful, selfish nature wants you to feel alone. That you have to do this on your own. But that's not what Jesus was saying and that's not what Jesus was doing with this test or this trial. Maybe he's just equipping you for what is to come. Or just not allowing you to see the blueprint of the construction plans right now. See, fear of the unknown is, is one of our biggest problems with tests. It's my biggest problem with tests, no doubt. What's gonna be on the test? Is it gonna be multiple choice? Is it gonna be fill in the blank? How much material do I have to actually study? Do I need to go over all of it? Do I just need like this chapter or that chapter? See, in the same way, the tests of life, they, they bring fear. Causes a lot of us to worry about what's gonna be on the test. And truthfully, no one really knows except God. So what we do know is who the author of the test is. You know, the one who has overcome the world? Yeah. He's also the one that is with you during the test. You know, one of my favorite definitions uh, of the gospel it's from an author named Tim Keller, theologian. I'd consider him probably our modern day C.S. Lewis. Um, and uh, he said this, it's really simple. It's based on Psalm 139, if you wanna go read it. It says, you are fully known and fully loved. I want you to really think about that for a minute. It's a, it's a, it's a real simple sentence, but there's a lot of depth to this. And I have to believe that all of us, when, when you really parse this out for a minute, I mean, think about this. We, we feel like that to be fully loved, for me to be fully loved, I, I can't be fully known. I mean, think about how we react and how we, how we talk with others or, or don't talk with others. For me to be fully loved, I, I can't be fully known. I have to hold some things back. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't really be fully exposed. And so... I'm not gonna allow myself to be fully known. But because if I, if I do allow myself to become fully known, I'm not gonna be fully loved. I won't be fully loved if I'm fully known. And so we get into this vicious cycle. And we head towards being alone because the test means that I might be exposed or that I might lose the love that I have that I want to protect and so in the middle of trying to protect it, I fail the test and I lose it anyway. But with God, and this is why it's good news, like understanding all those things, right? Because with God, you are fully known. All the nooks and crannies that literally no one else knows about you, no one, I don't care who, your spouse, the closest person ever to you, doesn't fully know you. But God does. He fully knows you, and fully loves you. That should blow your mind and make you take a step back and cry out holy, holy and worship him the way that we did just a few minutes ago. Because with Jesus, you are fully known and fully loved. 
He fully knows you. He fully loves you. And that is why he did what he did for you. And he is fully with you in the test. So the connection point is that you are never left alone in the test. Never. You can always find your way back to Jesus. And, and, and the reason I said that is because I, I think we feel like because maybe I'm fully known by God that, that, that now I can't find my way back to him. And the thing is, he never left. He never left. You're fully known and fully loved. He never left you and he set up the structure of his church as support for you. And we can always find it. When we feel alone, when we feel disillusioned, we sometimes have to find our way and remember that he's right there, but he, he never left you. Maybe you never found him. He's standing there with his arms open, waiting for you to fall into him. All we have to do is turn from our sin trust him you know God speaks to us through three different mechanisms we'll call it through his word through prayer and through other godly people the community the body of Christ and how interesting that of those things how much of those are wrapped in community Would you stand with me? Because we're going to do something a little bit different today. I know that there's a lot of us here. Statistically speaking, half of us that are feeling alone. That are feeling lonely, feeling like maybe I'm not good enough for God. Whatever that might be that he's left me alone in this test, in this trial, in this place that we're going through. And listen, we know from the word of God that that's not true. You know, we have different things here at the, at the church to, to help us to connect to each other. We've got life groups and those are great and awesome. And yeah, we should definitely all be in one to bring community. But you know what else brings community is this moment together each week. And so I want to actually kind of lean into this moment for just a minute. And I wanna open up the altar in the front up here which it's always open, quite frankly. But I think for something like this, for what we're talking about today, I have a feeling that there's a lot of us that maybe need to do a little business with God. Need to maybe take some time to pray. Maybe come forward and pray and maybe somebody with you to come forward and, and pray together. So I wanna give you a couple options here because the team is gonna come up and, and, and have another worship song for us. And during that song, if you feel led to come up and pray, maybe you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe now's the time for that. You've heard this a bunch of times. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing this. Maybe you need some time to just pray and, and find the Lord and actually connect to him. Let's, let's do that. You're in this place of feeling alone and lonely and all of that. Let's pray about that. We've got people that would love to pray with you. 
I'm just going to step right down here, quite honestly, during this song. And if you want to come down and pray, let me say this. If, if you want to just pray alone, maybe just you and a, and a friend or a family member or whatever, you want to come down and pray alone, just come over to this side. If you maybe need somebody to pray with you, why don't you swing over to this side a little bit. But you know what? I know the Spirit's moving in here in us. Maybe we need to move our feet a little bit. Maybe we need to come down front and do a little business with God. And if that's you, you need to come down and pray during this song. Come on down and pray. I'm going to pray and then just kind of go from there. Father, as this song plays, as we think about what you've said, what you've shown us, where we are, God, I know that there's some of us here, some of us watching online that need to maybe take some time and pray. And so, Lord, I pray your spirit would move through this place. If there's someone here that doesn't have a relationship with you, that maybe they feel alone in that way because they, they don't even know if they're gonna be with you in heaven one day. Jesus, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. Lord, we ask for your spirit to move through this place, continue to move through this place powerfully. In your name we pray.